0: It's good to see you guys. So uh, I'll, I'll admit, I'm, I'm, and I've said it before, I'm excited. This is fun. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to open up God's word with you. Uh, for any of you viewing online at home, if I haven't met you, I'm Adam Brown. I'm one of the elders at Grace Church. Uh, our situation this morning, we've been working on a study for about a month, give or take, uh, as to how scripture portrays uh, the Lord as our shepherd. Uh, today is our final study in that, uh, or final day in that study. The, the complication, right? If we think a little bit about this year in particular, I think the complication with understanding the Lord as our shepherd, for a lot of us, we don't feel it, right? We, we, we have felt or can feel distant, angry, bitter, confused. Um, as you look around what's going on in the culture, um, and even more personally, right, with friendships, with family, with relationships, people have very different reactions to some of the stuff that's been going on, and that's disorienting. Right? That's weird when people close to you feel so differently about something. Right? And so, that that reality, where Scripture tells us on the one hand that the Lord is our shepherd, and then on the other, our experience of what we've been feeling and, and processing lately, is disorienting and, and distant. That that's weird, right? And so the the implication, I think is that if if scripture is reliable on this truth if it, if it's telling us the truth that God is our shepherd but that's our experience then we need to reframe the way that we perceive the lord right and the way that we perceive our circumstances right it's it's our thinking that needs to shift and adapt to the reality of scripture so my my position this morning is that we we have to meditate a little bit on psalm 23 and if you've if you've memorized it or if you're uh, familiar with the words, don't let that be uh, an impediment. Don't let the familiarity of it sort of wash over and in, in, in one ear and out the other, uh, because the truths here are deep, right? And the, the benefit, right, to us listening, right, to us processing, to us absorbing with the help of the Holy Spirit is, is powerful, right? Because it goes to our connection, our, our fellowship with the very presence of God. So there's a little bit of background. I've been studying the Psalms in general. I've been reading through the Psalms for, gosh, I don't know, four to six months, quite a bit, uh, reading through some of the commentaries. One writer talks about the Psalms, the way he introduces it, the way that he speaks about them, is uh, if you were to look at the ocean. And so I I think just to heighten the contrast a little bit, if we'd all grown up a few hundred years ago, right, a different time uh, before the, the advent of modern travel, most people grew up, lived married, raised kids, and died within a few miles of where they were born, right? So you'd have no conception of what the Pacific Ocean was like if somebody just picked you up and dropped you off on the beach and said, look at that, You might see the waves and you'd have some sense of the expanse, but you have no idea how far it goes, how deep it runs, right? You can jump in and sort of get beneath the surface a little bit, but you're not going to get to the bottom. You're not going to exhaust them. That's how the Psalms operate. Right, all 150 of them. If there's a theme that runs through the Psalms, it is man's perspective, it is our experience from a whole slew of different facets with the presence of God. Right, and so I'll give you a few examples. Uh, like the one we're reading today, David is just filled, right? Full to overflowing with the presence of God. Uh, there are other Psalms on the, the, the polar opposite end. You know, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me, right? But longing, right, in longing for the presence of God and feeling his, his distance. Uh, there's anger, there's worship, there's confusion, right? There, there are people sort of all around, 360 degrees, with some reaction to either the presence or what they feel like, they perceive, is the, the absence of God's presence. But that's the theme, right? The very presence of God that undergoes or undergirds the entire Psalter, all 150 Psalms. Psalm 23, like I said, is probably one of the most famous, maybe the most famous Psalm and one of the most famous passages of scripture ever. And um, gosh, sort of like the flip side of a gift. If you remember getting Christmas gifts as a kid, it was exciting. It was a flash of the pan and then it sort of went in a corner somewhere and you moved on, right? And so the, the thrill was kind of at surface level and then you just forgot all about it right? This is, this is just flip that over, right? You can read through Psalms, you can be familiar with this passage. And it's only when you spend time, right? And you meditate on it, and you get to the bottom of it, that that sort of the, um, you know, the the thrill, so to speak, the reality of the gift begins to weigh in on you, right? That's just, that's just the way it works. So we're going to look at it in three parts, right? This particular Psalm. Dave gives us three very rich images of what it means to experience God's presence and what his experience has been. Uh, The first and most obvious is the shepherd. The second is a host. God is our host. And the third is as our keeper. So the Lord is our shepherd, our host, and our keeper. So we'll start start with the Lord as our shepherd. Uh, verse one, right, and six verses fairly easy to uh, track along if you want to read long in your, in your Bibles. Uh, verse one: The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. Uh, Lord here is uh, Jehovah, the existing one, right, and so David is identifying as, his shepherd as God Almighty. He's existing; it's present tense; it's ongoing. God is eternal. Right? The Lord is eternal, and that God, the Lord, the eternal existing one is, is who has chosen to take on this role, this identity as shepherd. Right? And if you think about, or you may be familiar with what, what a shepherd was in those days, um, certainly no social standing. There was no glory in being a shepherd. Uh, you were out in the fields away. You know, there, there's a devotion, right? There's a choice to go focus on this work that of necessity, pulls you out of the social circles. Uh, so there's no, there's no exaltation. There, there's nothing to gain uh, from a human perspective. And from the sheep's perspective, right, what they've come to know over time or will come to know of a shepherd, uh, he's devoted. Right? He's wise in the sense that he knows where to take me. He, he arranges for my, my provision, the food and the water that, that David talks about. Um, and he, he stinks. He smells like me. Right? As, as a sheep. But it, it, it's an incredible contrast, right? Right out of the gate. If, again, if we kind of get out of the familiarity of the words to say that the eternal, existing, perfect other God has taken on this role of shepherd. So do you get some of the, um, the humility, I suppose, in that? Right? The condescension in God taking on the role of a shepherd, right? And in initiating that sort of uh, care and relationship. And, and we'll see also some authority, right? As, as the shepherd guides. Um, there's really no one wiser, stronger, better able to guide, better able to provide from the perspective of the sheep. The shepherd is supreme. That, that's who the shepherd is. And so David says, that's God. The Lord is my shepherd. And because of who he is, the eternal God, and what he's done to take on this role of
1: shepherd, right? His work. So his character and his work, because of those two things, I shall not want. Just couldn't if I tried, right? Because of who he is and what he's done,
0: I, I can't want, I can't lack anything. Um, so there's a lot right there in nine words. And, and I, I say that if you count them, there's nine words in that verse. That's the way the entire you know, Psalm works. There's a lot of, there's a lot of depth and we probably won't do it justice in our time here, but it's, it's worthy of our memorization, right? It's worthy of our meditation. All right. So in verse two, David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, So again, very cool in the sense that God is leading. How much food does a sheep need in a particular meal, right? Just a little bit of nibbling here and there, right? For a meal. And so the Lord has brought the sheep, right? God has brought David to a place of provision. And it's certainly enough for one meal and two meals and three meals, right? It's a pasture, right? There's abundance. There's far more nourishment and provision than, than the sheep could possibly need. And uh, true to form, right? This is the way that we operate. Uh, look at the word that, that David picks to describe how the provision is, is provided. What does he say? He, he what? He makes me, right? So I can kind of bow up. I can kind of have my own plans, and God, in His providential, kind, authoritative shepherd way, makes me lie down. Right? Because of who He is, right? We've already established who He is, and the goodness, and and the character. And there's nothing really for him to gain on the surface from doing this, but he's the one who forces and makes me lie down where I need to lie down and be nourished, right? So do you, do you catch the picture of sort of some gentle, sovereign uh, care, right? Even discipline, right? It's it's firm, right? But it's, it's for our good. Then he leads me beside still waters. So all throughout the Old Testament, if you read a lot of different books. Water is often symbolized for chaos and death and fear, right? And there are uh, places in Job and others where the Lord is created, uh, credited. Excuse me, credited. Yahweh is given credit for subduing and bringing uh, chaotic waters to order, where uh, or he's credited with overcoming and crushing Leviathan. And so you have God subduing and exercising dominion over water. We we have that in the New Testament as well, right? you think of the shepherd subduing, right? The seas, right? And Christ spoke uh, peace to the sea and it stopped, right? Under the authority of its maker. And I, I, th- I don't think it's too much of a stretch to recognize both Old Testament and new. Uh, the shepherd is the one who leads not to water in a condition that's going to overwhelm or you know, subdue or um, be the end of me, right? And in, in sort of a flood sort of context. But in gentleness, he leads us. He
1: led David to life-giving water, still water. Now, let's not lose sight of who David
0: is when he uses the metaphor, right? He uses this image of a shepherd. Uh, We know David was a king. We know David was a warrior uh, responsible for a lot of deaths, probably committing them in the act of battle firsthand he's not a sissy, right? Uh, but David is the one as a monarch, as a king, as the ruler of, you know, the, the nation of Israel, more or less at its peak. He's the one who says, I'm, I'm on the receiving end of this thing. Right? The Lord is the one with authority. I'm the skittish sheep. I'm the one that needs to be led about, forced to lie down. Right? It's very strange language. How, how many, how, how many leaders do you know that use that sort of language to describe themselves? And, and, and so, the the reason I think, um, I mean, not only is it all true in the sense of what God does for David and, and the goodness that He provides as the shepherd, there's there's praise. There there is a compliment just in the image itself, right? Where David delights to be the one who needs, right? David delights to be the one who is skittish and off kilter and the one who needs the correction and the sustenance. He delights to be on the receiving end of it all because there's nothing else to do, right? You can't do anything for the shepherd, but to glory in the fact that he's the one providing all that he is providing, right? And all that, all that he is personally, all that he does for us. Uh, so the, the very act of dependence, right? And and the confession of the dependence gives glory to the shepherd. Do you see that? And again, it's David, right? Not a sissy. It's David, monarch, a king. Uh, Verse three might be my favorite um, verse in the entire Psalm. uh, These four words, where for a minute, David drops the imagery and tries to articulate the reality, right? tries to articulate the reality. So there's no more shepherd, there's no more sheep for these uh, few words, the first four. He restores my soul. And so he's trying to describe directly what it is God is doing. And so he, he sort of shifts around throughout the psalm looking for different ways to explain to, to talk about uh, his experience of the presence of God. Um, so the, the Hebrew word for soul is nefesh. N-E-P-H-E-S-H. Nefesh. And so if you go look at some of the history this word is used a lot of other places uh, including Genesis 2 which is the the creation account. And there after the Lord forms the earth and He begins to create all the living things right? the beasts of the field, birds of the air uh, creatures in the sea, things that crawl around. Each time when He creates them they are described as living things. Right And it's the same word, nefesh. and it culminates, as you know, right in the creation account in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, where uh, God forms Adam out of the earth, right And so just think about this, right We've we got to slow down just a minute, right this is This is the language that Scripture uses in the creation account. when God makes the culmination right of his uh, design, right of his work, he's, you know. So if you and I go to the beach and we make a sandcastle, we're proud of it, right? It sort of leans, it's sort of ugly, it vaguely resembles a real castle, and then somebody smashes it, but we're proud of it, right? That's what we've done. God takes earth, right? He makes earth and he fashions it, right? It starts to look like a human. There's no life in it yet. It says God made man out of the earth. And do you remember how he completed the work? Right. So you have this body, right? You have this earth that's been fashioned. And it says that God took Adam, (sighs) breathed into his nostrils. And that's the moment when he became a living
1: soul, because the breath of God went into him. If you think about Adam at the moment of creation, no, no sin yet, sort of blinking, maybe getting a little dirt out of his eyes. But right. he, he has that experience um, because that's, that's what God has given him,
0: right? The, the very breath of God becomes a living soul. So, you know, come back to where David is. David, the monarch, right? The tough guy, the leader of the, you know, the, the nation. When he says he restores, restore, there, there's a turning back. There's a putting back. The idea is that you're, you know, setting something the way it was intended to be. And it's the same word in both places. When Adam became a living soul, David saying he restores my soul. Right? There's, there's a comparison of sorts where the, the relationship that Adam had with the Lord at the moment of creation, right? Sort of
1: gazing on the one who just made him. I've done this before and I actually asked the Lord not to let it happen again.
0: <laughs>
1: Sorry. Um, but it's powerful, right? It's powerful. That David says, You
0: were, you know, you're fixing my soul. Right? You're putting me back the way that I'm supposed to be. So he does that, right? In verse 4, he restores my soul. Right? That's the best I can do. That's the best way I can articulate it because God has given the soul, right? He's restored the soul. He's he's given David something refreshing and renewing that comes first, right? And then what happens? He leads me in paths of righteousness, right? So don't get it backwards. I don't, you know, traipse on down the path of righteousness in order to get the restored soul. Right? Do you see the sequence? Right? God moves first. God moves with initiative, to restore the soul, right? To reorient David, to put him in right relationship in some sense. And then from that place, he moves him down, he leads him down the path of righteousness, right? So the restoration and the the work in the soul comes first, followed by, right? We we begin to follow. David begins to follow the shepherd down the path of righteousness. Righteousness here, it's it's a straight path, right? It's the way it's supposed to be, right? It's the way that God intends, whatever that might be. Um, and this is sort of the clincher to this verse, right? What God has done in restoring the soul and moving David down a path of righteousness, as good as that is for David, right? He restores my soul, kind of at, at um, my wit's end trying to explain it. But ultimately, it's not about David, right? Why does he do it? It's for his namesake. Right? So as good as God is, and restoring the soul, and leading down a path of righteousness. And as much as we need that, right, people don't look at us and say, wow, you look good, you're righteous, your, your life, um, there's something unique and different about it. When that moment comes, if that conversation comes, it's not to say, well, thank you, I've been working rather hard on it, right? <laughs> That's not what it's for, right? So the, the point of restoration, the, the point of the, the life of righteousness is to arouse curiosity and to reflect back to the one who made you right right it's elevating his name his reputation and again i think the, the 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 parallel to genesis is cool right because god made men and how did he make them why did he make them well he made them to be formed in his own image He made them in the likeness of God. And so when people look at you and me, God's plan from the very beginning, now redeemed on the other side of the cross, when they see you, wow, you remind me of God. There's something about you that reminds me of God. On the one hand, we sort of shrink from that. There's no way that you you clearly got me confused with someone else. But on the other, the fact that you know, God begins to display himself and you have some of his characteristics in small measure, I suppose. And people start thinking of God when they encounter you. That's a perfect segue, right? That's, that's exactly what we were formed for in Genesis 2. And that David articulates now, it is all for his name's sake, right? He restores my soul and that feels good. And I need it. He does it all the time but he leads me in paths of righteousness
1: for his name's sake. That's the shepherd. Um, let's move forward.
0: Let's keep going. So David is doing his best, right? Sort of getting at what he can with these words to describe his relationship to the Lord as his shepherd. And it's, it's necessary and it's essential for us, right? We need a shepherd. But again, all of that ultimately is secondary. And you, you see that in, in the posture, right? In the metaphor that, that David is using, I'm the sheep, he's the shepherd, right? He, he, he's sort of doing it on two levels, right? He's modeling it and saying it at the same time, right? Very cool. Verse four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? Well, because you are with me, right? And he's just spent some time trying to help us understand who the Lord is, right? He's different and he's unique and he restores my soul and he does what he does and he is what he is. And so when I walk through the valley. The, the only thing I can do
1: right in an act of worship is to do it fearlessly. What else are you going to give the shepherd? Right. But your quiet confidence in who the Lord is, right?
0: Not, not for your own sake, but just for his, right. It reflects well on him. That's what you can give, right? You can give confidence. You can give faithful, contented trust. I will fear no evil because of who he is. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. One thing to notice between these two verses, three and four, is that the paths of righteousness include the dark valleys, right? So the shepherd didn't get lost. How did I get here? Right? GPS isn't working. Um, The shepherd is leading and often does lead through dark valleys, Right? And it's in that context that David says, well, okay, I'll fear no evil. Those are the types of things. I'll bring it back to our time and our culture. There've there been some challenges, right? Some greater, some more confounding, some more, more difficult than others. But this year, right, there is brokenness and sin in, in every corner, right? When we sort of just survey the culture and we're online and we can see it, may have participated in it, right? We may be contributing to some of that brokenness, the way that we interact as possible, right? It's, it's, it's in every place, right? The valley is more personally, right? There are plenty of folks in this church that have experienced real tragedies this year, right? Painful things, difficult things. Wendy Vaughn's going through chemo right now, as you guys know, uh, dealing with breast cancer. Uh, Kayla Mayners has been sick her whole life, right? her whole life this year, dealing with brain surgery. Right? had a hard time finding a doctor to even perform the procedure that she needed, right? Which gives you some sense as to um, how unique and how difficult and how challenging her disease is. Right? Those are the kinds of things on a scale, right? From just mildly annoying can kind of knock me off my game to life threatening on the other end and sort of all in between dark valleys, right? Lots of wolves, lots of mountain lions, the precipice to go over the edge. Those are the things that can and often do challenge our faith, right? That's what produces the anxiety, the anger, the sin that I, that I started with, right? When we wander off the path, but they can also grow us, right? The shepherd leads us there for a reason, right? It's not haphazard. And so I'll, I'll, I'll continue on. You know, if you talk to Ethan and Kayla, um, it's not roses but they'll talk to you about how powerful God has been in the midst of the prayers, right. That, that they've had, right. And that this body has prayed for them. They'll, they'll talk about it. You'll hear it, right. They are, they are familiar, you know, with the shepherd leading them through. Um, a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, I, I sat down at the table for GDI before it started and was talking with Sidna. Sidna has been in the hospital this year. Again, it's actually a pattern. If you talk to her about it and right? she's had it, um, several times. And if you try and sort of pull a complaint out of Sidna, good luck. All right. Uh, You know, tell us, tell us how nasty the doctors were and how annoying the nurses were and, you know, how unfair life is Sidna. I mean, if anybody's qualified, she's probably qualified. Right. And for her, it's not complicated. Right. She talks about it almost like it's happening to somebody else. She just, you know, the Lord's good, and she said this. This is a quote. I'm not making it up. This year, I only needed five quarts of blood, not nine. She's serious, right? Um, So for her, it's simple. It's not complicated, right? She is at her shepherd's side, almost happy to be there, even though it happens to be in a valley at the moment, right? But she's not worried, right? But she knows her shepherd. Right? And so those are the types of things I'm actually thankful for in 2020. You know, not, not the pain, not the chaos for its own sake. But the Lord has been using some of those things in my life. I'm sure he's been doing the same in yours. It's painful. And, it, you know, we kind of react in a whole variety of different ways. And then he corrects us. Right. And then we grow. Right? And again, we grow and it's good for us. And he gets the glory out of it because it's weird. Right? If I tell somebody Sidna's
1: story, it's weird. And, and that's, you know, that's the unique
0: character right, of our God and our shepherd. Right? You can't manufacture it and you can't replicate it in, in any other way. It's unique. Right? It's, it's him. He is our shepherd. And so just like David we can say, he is training us to say,
1: I will fear no evil. Right? It's not because of me, but you're with me. What have I to fear?
0: So catch these last two pieces of this image uh, when he says, your rod and your staff comfort me. So the rod uh, is a weapon, right? So if, if the, the wolf comes or the mountain lion comes, whatever it is, the shepherd would attack, right? He would defend. Uh, the staff, that, that's, that's the hook, right? So it's lengthier. That's the hook. And so when we do something stupid, right? And he just whacks with the hook and yanks back, right? Uh, it, it's against our will, right? That's, you ought to notice that, right? You're beginning to veer off and you get the hook and you get pulled back. Um, Lord, your defense and your correction, they come for me. So when the hook comes, And your first inclination is to sort of kick and to pull and to justify and to rationalize. And God says, this is sin. Don't do it. Right. Repent of it. Right. Embrace the painful correction, right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? Because we've established trust. We know the character of our shepherd. So when the correction and the discomfort comes against our own will, and I'm challenged to think a way that I've not thought before, and God drives me back into his word,
1: embrace it, right? Don't fight it. Don't fight it. We, you know, I, I, I just know better,
0: right? This is how I was raised. This is what I've thought my entire life, right? I'm going to go off, you know, hey, I found puppies. No, those are wolves, right? right? They're, they're not helpful. Stay away from them, right? Embrace the Lord's correction. All right, so that's shepherd. It's a lot, right? There's a lot. Um, So David switches now to host in verse five. He he changes images. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Um, So here David's just invited in. So it's God's house. It's God's table. It's God's provision. He's the host, right? And David is the one that's hungry. David is the one that needs the fellowship. And so again, same sort of, uh, I'll call it a one-way street, right? In terms of the, uh, the blessing, right? The presence of God doing what it does for us, right? Nourishing, healing, bringing people in for fellowship. Uh, we, we've just finished uh, a lot. Well, I say we finished. It's probably going to happen again, but a lot of big meals, right? Uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, some of us are blessed with wonderful relationships with family, right? Not, not in every case, but a lot of us are. And when you sit down at the table uh, with people you love, right, there's something invigorating and renewing about eating and talking and laughing, praying, uh, crying, whatever it might be. Sometimes it's a mixture, um, but it, it energizes, right? It can be a, a renewal. I, I remember as a young, young person at those family gatherings, I was not qualified to sit at the table, right? Somebody had the thought, Hey, should we bring Adam? no, no, you go sit over there on the rickety card table. Right? Don't spill it. Be quiet. Right. But eventually, right, eventually, as an adult, hopefully, you get invited to the Lord's table or to the adult table. So on a on a much bigger scale, right? A much bigger scale.
1: You're not at the kids' table anymore. You know. So the Lord nourishes
0: uh, the Lord heals. The Lord does what he does, but all of those things are in the context of fellowship. So it's not the healing primarily that we're after, right? It's not the food primarily that we're after.
1: It's him. We need the host, right? It's his presence that's foundational.
0: And so, you know, in this table for one, right, that the Lord has set Um, you anoint my head with oil. There, the idea is consecration. And so all throughout scripture, the idea of being consecrated or anointed with oil is being set apart, being uh, focused, right? You have a particular purpose. And so that's, that's, again, the picture you have been brought in by the Lord, consecrated and set apart for this, for fellowship. That's why you were made. That's what you're for right? To be brought in for this sort of relationship. And so um, by this point in the psalm, when when David says, my cup overflows, right? I I don't know how else to explain who you are and what it feels like and what the presence of God can be in my life. It's just, I, I don't have enough, right? I'm insufficient to even capture all of the goodness that you're giving me. My cup overflows, the part that gets maybe overlooked uh, in this verse is it's, it's not all butterflies and rainbows and unicorns and, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Uh, look at that. You prepare a table for me. Where do you do it? In the presence of my enemies. Right? Um, if you will, turn to Psalm 18. I want to give you just a little bit of, of context. Um, Psalm
1: 18 And we're going to start in verse six. I'm going to read a few of these verses. Okay. Psalm 18, we'll start in verse six. I'll read it and
0: I'll come back and talk a little bit about it. But in my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice my cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. Same God. Go to verse 13. Uh, The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and he scattered the enemy with great bolts of lightning. He routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and he took hold of me and he drew me out of the deep waters. And so um, same God same author, right? This is, this is the same collection of Psalms, 18 and 23, going the same thing, same place. They're both attributed to David. So it's, it's the same human experience of the same God, but wow, dynamic, right? And and so you get just a glimpse of that in Psalm 23, where when God sets up the table and he brings us in for fellowship and he consecrates us, right? He anoints us with oil and it's, it's intimate and it's everything we need. And he's done it in the presence of my enemies. They sit there and they watch, right? Because he told them to, right? They've not been invited in, whoever the enemies are. They've not been given permission to come and sort of stick their toe over the edge, right? They've been told to sit there and watch. Right? Do, you, do you
1: sort of get a glimpse right, of, of the um, power, right? The,
0: the sovereign stateliness of the king, it's my house. This one's come to the table and you're going to sit there, right? You cannot begin to harass and to touch the one I've invited to my table. So read Psalm 18, read the fullness of the Psalter, understand who it is, right? That has invited you in with kindness and gentleness and provision and mercy and forgiveness. Because that's not true for everyone, right? The the invitation is there. The invitation is there, but understand the authority, the power, the absolute awe right that the founder of the feast is
1: due when you're invited into the table right?
0: you know our host the one who sets the table right who gently leads us to water who gives us a little bit of grass to eat is the same one whose nostrils push the oceans back to lay the
1: ocean's floor bare right he causes mountains to shake but he gives us himself. So we're at peace. Right? So put your hooves on, right?
0: Sit at the kid's table, right? Be on the receiving end of what it is that God is giving, right? And who he is, which is himself, right? He's giving us himself, right? He chose the role of the host. He chose the role of the shepherd, right? He's giving us himself. So don't wander off. Don't leave the table. Don't leave the path. Right? Come back to the one for whom you're made. Alright, so that's the host. Now let's talk a little bit about verse 6 where, again, David switches images. Here it's a keeper. It's the best word I've got for it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um. Goodness and mercy are essentially the essence of God personified. Right? They're the subject of the verse. They're the ones doing what, the way it's translated here. They're the ones following. We'll talk about that. Uh, goodness, the word is tov. That's the Hebrew word. and, and the, it's, it's the excellencies. It's the fairness. It's the beauty of God a, to the point that your heart breaks and you almost can't think about it anymore. That's the goodness of God. Mercy Um, it, it, you've heard the term loyal love, right? Chesed. Justin says that a little more artfully than than I do. Um, But the the idea is it's the love that you don't deserve, that you desperately need. And it just keeps coming, right? And coming and coming. And that's why people will refer to it as loyal love. It's unending. right? So it's it's the heart-rending goodness of God, right? That is just almost more than we can look at with the unyielding, overwhelming love of God that is loyal to the bone, personified. And the word follow, it, follow is, is relevant in the sense that, that he's behind. That's the picture that David is giving us. Uh, but it's more like pursue or chase, right? It's relentless. He's coming after us. It's the goodness of God, the love of God, chasing us relentlessly to keep us. So when, when David says, surely, goodness and mercy will follow. It's not, yeah, I think it's going to happen. I'm pretty sure about it, right? It's, it's relentless. It's overwhelming. Surely, right? You can count on it. And, and so I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, right? There, there's no way I can get away from this. There's no way I can outrun it. So put, put it all together, right? I, I think this is interesting. So on the one hand, we start with shepherd where he's leading, We end with the goodness and the love of God personified his very essence, chasing us from behind. And he meets us in the middle to set the table and invite us into fellowship. Right? He's in front. He's behind. He's in the middle. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. So, you know, glory to God for who he is, right? With these rich images, these rich metaphors of of just who he is. Glory to God for what he's done, right? Where he has led, he has provided, he's restored, right? He has chased me down because I'm off wandering around doing something stupid, right? Chased me down, right? But it's, it's because of who he is and it's because of what he's done that David is sort of pushing on the limits of language to talk about who the Lord is right? He's sort of coming up short. So um, when when Jesus says in John chapter 10, right, this is all that you could think of the last 35 minutes as
1: context for these two verses in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I've come life that they might have it to the four letters, right? Full. That's a lot. The very next verse, right? I am the good. Why is he good? The good shepherd lays down his life. Just like the shepherd,
0: the existing one, Jehovah God initiating relationship to take on the role of shepherd. Jesus says, I'm that guy. I am the good shepherd. Right? I chose to take on this role, to lay my life down. And it's good for us. Right? Salvation, not only from our sins, right? but the life, the abundant life that he gives is good for us. Right? It is full for us. It is a cup running over because we just don't quite have the words to say it. And it's not about us. I remember Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, Lord, glorify your name, right? He does it for his namesake. And that, that's freeing, right? We, we can experience the goodness and you say, well, gee, I'm, I'm never going to live up to my end of the bargain. And that, that's true, but that's not the point, right? The point is that he's doing it for his namesake, and so, the way that we respond, the way that we point people back to Him, that, that's the little bit that we can do in some sense, right? That's our role. You know, like my dog walks up and just wants to be pet. That, that's kind of me, right? That's what we do. <laughs> We're just, God, pet me. I like it when you pet me. That's why I'm here, right? I don't want to be anywhere else, right? So, the, the abundant life is yours already if you're a believer in Christ. Uh, if you are not, Then it's available to you. But this is not just a blanket promise anyone gets. You have to come to the shepherd. You have to come to the host on his terms, right? Because he invites you, because he comes for you. So if that's not you, right, it can be. It can be. So we're going to pray for a moment. Uh, Elders will gather at the back, right? If you want to pray, right? To reset your mind, to bring yourself to the scriptural truth, to come under the authority of your shepherd and his word. But what else do you have to do? Right? What else is more important than that? And if you don't know the shepherd, and if you haven't come to Christ, we would love to talk to you about that too. Right? Most of them in the, in the room, maybe, as I look around. Some online, maybe, but we're here. We would love to tell you about our shepherd. That, that's kind of all we have left to do at this point.
1: Right? That's what we're here for. So let's pray.
0: Lord Jesus, you are good beyond words. Lord, your character could not be more clearly and plainly spoken than in your choice to come and live among us. Lord, to step out of your glory, to take on flesh, to reveal the goodness and the purposes of God. And Lord, when we come to you, our our hearts are broken, filled to overflowing it's a pleasant pain, God, that you give us in your presence because you enable us to experience you. We are forever grateful. God, we are, we are prone to wander. We are prone to sin. And we, we need your forgiveness for that, God. We need to confess our sin. But Lord, in your loyal love, your ongoing pursuit of us, Lord, we are at peace. You are our shepherd. And we shall not want.
1: It's because of the strong and mighty name of Jesus that that is true. Amen.